Hi, and welcome to Article 36 Autonomous Weapon podcast series, where we raise a critical voice on weapons. My name is Oldo Sarabi, and I'm your host in this series. With me in today's episode is the Managing Director at Article 36, Richard Moyes, along with one of our main advisors, Elizabeth Miner. If you are new to Article 36 and you would like to get to know our team better, you can find out more about us and the work we do on our website, article36.org. Now, our goal through these podcast series is to bring a better understanding of concerns surrounding autonomous weapon systems and to explain the position of Article 36 in its policy framework. So far in these discussions, we took a broad view of the subject matter, looking at weapons that use sensors to determine when and where to apply force. The key questions that we want to answer are, first, what systems do we consider unacceptable that would need to be prohibited? And second, how do we ensure meaningful human control over the systems that do not need to be prohibited? We're going to talk in particular about the importance of limiting the location and duration over which a system can function. Richard, could you start by explaining why it's important to think about the time and space in which a system functions as means for understanding human control? Thanks, soldiers. I think for us, the starting point here is systems that use sensors and where sensor inputs are subject to a sort of machine calculation and then force is applied and a human user has not set the specific location of where and when that force will occur. So we're talking about systems basically using sensors to determine where and when force will be applied. Now, within that space, we think that certain systems are unacceptable. We're, we're opposed to systems that use sensors to target people in this way. And we think there should be a prohibition on systems that just simply can't be effectively controlled because they can't be effectively understood and the like. However, that does then leave a set of technologies, including some weapons that we have uh, already today that function through this basic mode, but which people are not considering to be unacceptable per se. We, we don't think you could say they just, they're just immoral or they're just straightforwardly unacceptable and therefore they should be prohibited. But they still raise concerns because when you have this envelope of time and space, you have some uncertainty for the user about specifically where and specifically when force is going to occur. And so that uncertainty, it only grows if a system is allowed to function over a longer period of time or over a wider area of space. The longer the time, the wider the space, the less straightforward it is for the user of that system to be able to really understand that context, to have meaningful information about that context. The context can change as a result of circumstances changing over time. I would almost go so far as to say it's a fact that greater time and greater space of functioning makes it less predictable, specifically what's going to happen. So we really need to find ways to apply some pressure on those parameters. They're not the only parameters required to exert control, but we need to apply some pressure on those parameters in order to make sure that the users of systems are making meaningful judgments about the the context in which those systems are going to to be used and 
these time and space parameters are, are really key characteristics for framing that. Yeah, and time and space, I think, for us in this uh, context is important in the context of the use of the systems, right? So not in kind of the design of technologies, but when they're actually like being used by a commander and to our minds in a specific sort of legal um, concept of an individual attack. I think these uh, factors of time and space, they're already you know important and used in thinking about making legal judgment in the deployment of weapon systems and thinking about the time and space over which uh, a system will operate and the uncertainties that will be generated is part of making effective legal and ethical decisions in the use of weapon systems. So we already have certain systems that use sensors to apply force in the way that we're talking about here. Um, how do these examples illustrate some of the issues perhaps in terms of more control or less control? It is a challenge for systems that work in this way to ensure that the sort of boundaries of space and time that they use within are, are controlled effectively. Um, when we look at landmines, going back to one of the most basic systems that uses uh, sensors to determine at least when to apply force, we have clearly seen significant problems because of the fact that there is an open-ended potential duration of system functioning for many of those weapons, and therefore they've carried on functioning after wars have finished, after peace agreements have been signed, but the, the weapon system's duration in time is carrying on being active, and that's continued to cause casualties subsequently. We see also missile defense systems that are used on, on board ships and in other locations to use radar signatures to identify incoming missiles. And I think we would say with those systems, there is a capacity to control the spatial sort of area of their use and to control the duration of their use in a way that can allow for meaningful human control. The commander can know we're, we're focusing this system on this particular area of sky, for example, and they can say, we're going to turn it on now and we're going to monitor the situation to ensure that there's not you know, civilian air traffic coming into the area. And we can turn the system off if we detect any kind of risks to our, our assumptions here. So those systems generally use that kind of human control over their spatial focus and their duration of, of functioning to manage risks and to make sure they're being used effectively. Finally, we see artillery systems functioning today that use sensors to try to detect, say, armored fighting vehicles, tanks, this kind of things. Those weapon systems don't tend to function for a very long duration. They don't loiter for very long over a target area, perhaps only a matter of, of seconds, really. And they don't cover a huge spatial area. So if they potentially allow a commander to know that this this sensing function, this target detecting function, that's going to determine specifically where the force is applied, but it's only going to occur within a, a relatively bounded area and for a relatively short period of time. And so the user of the weapon can be making a judgment about the risks that, that arise from that functioning. I think you could say if that same system were to be able to function over a much wider and wider area and over a longer period of time, the very same technical sensing function might suddenly become uncontrollable or uncontrolled because there would be all sorts of other things that might uh, trigger its activation, trigger false positives and the like. The armored fighting vehicles even might be next to some other civilian objects that you couldn't foresee, but you would have been able to foresee if you were focused in a smaller area. So this is just to say that systems that in their sort of 
technical functioning of sensors and calculations and target profiling, they might not be unacceptable to us per se, but if expanded over a longer period of time and over a wider area, they could become um, distinctly problematic. Yeah, there's quite a lot of systems that exist at the moment which have this process of functioning that we're talking about should be within our scope of regulation in autonomy and weapon systems. So systems that after they've been activated or in placed by a human user, then process data that comes into their sensors in order to activate force on particular you know, target objects. And I suppose with systems that are being developed now, with systems that are already been being used at the moment, as Richard said, militaries who have them, such as missile defense systems, for example, they already have a lot of practice around maintaining control over these systems so they don't have unintended effects. So only using them for very short periods of time in a, a particular area of the sky where they're not expecting other kind of unintended objects to be coming into the remit of the system. So I feel there's there's already quite a lot of understanding in this area amongst states that control in time and space is important. And you also see this in the international policy debate. That's an area where there's quite a lot of you know, common ground that these are some of the major elements of maintaining human control. And actually, this is something that already exists to some extent in military practice. If we look at this from a more practical perspective, what would sufficient control of a system in time and space look like? I think that is a good question. It draws us a little bit towards thinking about how you might make rules in this kind of area. The first thing to say is that we don't think that controlling location and duration are the only factors needed to maintain control. We do think they're critical factors, but they're not the only factors. The user of a system also needs to understand how it works. They need to understand that to a sufficient degree. So there's a whole set of criteria around understandability and explicability of systems that also need to be met in order to allow for control. But when we do start to look at control of the duration and the space of system functioning, I think we would recognize that different environments and different systems do present different sorts of, of challenges. And I think we can't just straightforwardly say there's a one-size-fits-all solution then to what is the correct duration or what is the correct spatial area. So we need to recognize we're going to need to allow some flexibility in relation to these characteristics. In a way, both spatial area and duration are a little bit of a proxy for understandability of the context in which a system is being used. The narrower the time and, and space of use, the more understandable that context of use is. The bigger it gets, the less understandable it gets, the less predictable it gets. Insofar as we have already existing legal rules that need to be met regarding the evaluation of risk to civilians and other factors, I feel like the spatial area and the duration of a system's functioning, they must be contained or limited or managed sufficiently to allow the human user of that system to apply their legal judgments in a meaningful way. So there's a sort of dynamic relationship between controlling these factors and being able to make meaningful legal judgments. And maybe the kind of rules we just need to emphasize here are going to pull back to those requirements to make sure that commanders or states are taking on obligations to limit the duration and the spatial area of system use sufficiently to apply existing legal rules in an effective way. And a lot of the problem that you know we see with using kind of sensor-based weapons or the possibility of using sensor-based weapons over uh, greater duration or larger areas or different types of areas is to do 
with this you know fundamental problem of uncertainty with these weapons uncertainty over when and where force will be applied and to what and the kind of increased risk that that generates to civilians but also generally for unintended or unacceptable outcomes happening as a, as a result of using these weapons so limiting of time and space in those uh, regards is is very important to manage for example we're thinking about larger areas different types of areas where there might be more civilians or civilian objects uh, present over larger time when people may come in and out of an area or objects may come in and out of an area where a weapon system uh, is operating and therefore be hit in an unintended way and um, at a greater distance from um, a legal judgment that has been made about what a commander actually wants to do with this system in terms of the targets that they're going for. I think, again, those points emphasise the sense that for us, this is one of those areas where we, we need these kind of obligations in order to prevent the existing law from becoming opened up and loosened in a way that it starts to be interpreted in a more open way, in a way that actually is just placing greater and greater emphasis on machine functioning and de-emphasizing the role of the human who is actually, you know, the legal subject under the law and where the sort of granularity and the specificity of human legal judgments are fundamental to us for making the law really mean something in practice. Because the law itself doesn't explain how long a system can function for or how wide an area it can function over. The law doesn't tell us the answers here. So we need to just make it clear that these specific technical factors, they have a bearing on how the law can be effectively implemented. And we need to be pulling towards shorter durations and smaller spaces of time in order to keep the sort of human legal engagement at an adequate level. Something that springs to mind when I hear the concept of time and space are two different understandings of these elements as they can be interpreted differently. Perhaps this is something you can clarify. If we take space to start with, I understand that there's a discussion of where a system is being used. But another interpretation of space that comes to mind is if a system is static or moving in terms of understanding the element of space. Is there a separation or form of distinguishing between the two understandings or are we looking at this collectively? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I do think that space and time here are themselves just a proxy for understandability and complexity. So if a system is static and is not moving around, that is probably going to make the environment more understandable and is in a way a kind of limitation on the spatial aspects of that system's operation. A little bit in the same way where if you can turn a system off straightforwardly or if it has a fixed duration of operation, then that serves to limit the period of time in which it's operating. So I think we need to recognize that those are ways of achieving some control over the space and the time elements. In terms of whether they can be problematic separately, I think Yes, because I think they're both actually proxies for the same thing. Personnel landmines say generally static. Sometimes they get washed around by floods, but generally they're intended to be uh, static. But their long duration of operation is a particular sort of driver of problems and driver of risk. So in that case, you could say it's the duration first and foremost that's problematic. It's a little bit more complicated than that maybe when you think of landmines because actually losing track of where they are has also been a major problem in that context. So actually, although they're static, suddenly it turns out they didn't move, but we still lost track of the spatial components. The users didn't keep control of the spatial 
component effectively. And so actually we end up with a spatial problem as well. So yeah, these things can flow together in that, in that example. Sure, I see how they relate. Could you clarify what we mean by time then as for using time itself to gain human control? For example, I understand that you say that when we operate a system autonomously for a longer period, we would lose, we would see less human control. But how about if the duration is so short? For example, systems operate so rapidly that a human user would lose control over it because of the very fast decision or execution. How do we grapple with this? There's perhaps a slightly different set of dynamics there because I think those issues of how much time and how much information a human uh, user is operating on the basis of, um, they can be also outside of the the sort of mechanics of the system functioning itself. But in general, we want to be working towards situations where a human user has a sufficient contextual understanding to make a meaningful judgment. And if either the space and time of a system's functioning is uh, so broad as to render that impossible, then I think that creates a problem. But in general, if a systems user is operating on the basis of information that is simply insufficient to to make an informed judgment, that is also a problem. Whether that would fall straightforwardly under our rule set here, I'm not sure. I think that's an interesting boundary issue, actually. Yeah, and the, the problems created by high-speed systems is one of these issues in the general area of the problems with increasing autonomy in weapon systems or the problems that we're talking about, which is to do with the controllability in terms of understanding what a system will do. And I suppose high-speed systems that uh, already exist, such as missile defense systems, for example, the risks created by their kind of high-speed mode of operation is in part managed by only activating them for you know a short period of time in a very specific uh, context and, and environment. So it, it intersects with these issues, but in a way is, is a slightly different element of kind of the time that is, is important. And of course, those sort of systems have also caused problems, right? They've shut down civilian airliners and there's been you know significant uh, problems as a result. I feel like th- this is definitely a significant question, the information that people are making decisions on the basis of. It may be something where a broad overarching principles about the need for people to make sufficiently informed, contextually informed decisions in their legal judgments, we may not be able to, again, specify the the distinct obligations for how much information a person needs and how long they need to have that information for. But I think a legal instrument should certainly be articulating a sense that much of what we're trying to capture here is that the humans have to be able to be substantively engaged, you know, in intellectually and in their understanding of the context, if the sorts of legal decisions they're making are going to be meaningful and if we're going to retain the idea of the law as a a meaningful structure of human evaluation and sort of moral application. Richard, Elizabeth, thank you both for explaining the concepts and elements of time and space for means of more meaningful human control. How does Article 36 propose that we regulate this and what is in discussion so far in regards to this element of concern on an international level? 
in terms of the engagement with these issues at the international level so far, I think that it's generally accepted in principle amongst a, a lot of states that controlling time and space is an important element of um, human control over over weapon systems in general. But we haven't moved um, yet to formulating rules in this area, of course. We think there's quite a good kind of engagement with these lines of, of thinking at the international level so far. We need specific legal obligations, we would say, to ensure that these factors are controlled alongside in our broader structure of regulation that we want to see of having prohibitions on certain systems that are uh, fundamentally unacceptable, that can't be controlled or are targeting people, as we talk about in other podcasts. We need these positive obligations for maintaining meaningful human control. So as Richard said, those aren't things that can be boiled down to one size fits all a simple rules but I think they need to be talked about in the level of the principle and thinking about the things that need to be considered in terms of the time that a sensor-based weapon system is is deployed for within which it might apply force to something the proximity of the force application to a legal judgment therefore and which affects the, the, the continuing validity of that legal judgment that's been made at the time of the release of a system. The size of the area we talked about is is relevant in terms of risk to uh, civilians and other unintended objects and, and other things. And also the type of area in which a system is deployed, whether it's populated or what other kind of environment it is. A lot of this is important in thinking about time and space. I feel there's also pitfalls potentially in this area. If we're thinking about the type of area in which uh, systems are deployed, you already see in the international debate, perhaps we could draw lines to say, for example, that it would be okay to use autonomous weapons, however states might be deploy- describing those in areas that are seen as open, like the sea or a desert or spaces like that, which I think we've you know seen before. And in like actual practice, these aren't empty areas in which you can have a free-for-all of military engagement and and a battlefield and think about them in these ways. And these are also, I think, often deployed as slightly theoretical examples in order to permit practice in in other areas and the development of weapon systems, which might be problematic by invoking these kind of examples. But it is also certainly the case that there's more risk to civilians if certain weapons are used in populated areas as opposed to in uh, areas where there's not Um, high levels of human settlement. So I think some of these um, issues will be important in the policy debate going forward. Just building on what Elizabeth uh, said, these issues also bring out why we think the sort of policy structure that we're promoting is necessary because we recognise that there are certain systems that we think should be prohibited, targeting people, systems that can't be effectively controlled, not effectively understandable and the like. But there are already systems today that function using sensors within a certain area of time and space. And if that was allowed to just expand and get wider and longer, then we would be effectively losing control and failing to ensure control at an adequate level. Now, those systems are not perhaps unacceptable per se. So it's only this question of controlling duration and controlling the spatial area of their functioning that actually is allowing them to be used in an appropriate way. And we need to hold lines against that and to draw some, create some boundaries against that expansion. Otherwise, just relatively mundane existing technologies could spread into this space. So it's a reason why we shouldn't just focus on the idea of extremely complex autonomous systems, but we we need to recognize that this basic dynamic of sensor input, 
machine calculation, force application, without a human setting specifically where and when force applies. That's the starting point, and these issues around space and time, I think, really explain why we need that to be the starting point for the discussion. And that's all from us at Article 36 for this episode on control of time and space in our Autonomous Weapons series. We hope you found this discussion useful. Thank you for listening and goodbye.